Now we're just so far removed from that process. And as you become further and further removed from uh, the source of what you're eating, you, it's incumbent upon us just to ask more questions. And most people don't. Most people are, I don't want to use the word ignorant, but they just assume that simply because it's allowed to be sold, surely it must be good for you. And honestly, who can blame them? You know, I, you know I'd love to live in a world where we don't have to ask. Whatever is, you know, sold on the shelf, whether it's food, personal care products, cleaning product, makeup, whatever it is, you know, we just can assume that it's safe. And this is the mentality that most people operate under and the mentality that, you know, bless my poor mum, she used to operate under. So she used to bring stuff in the house and she would be like, Sula, surely if it's allowed to be sold, it's got to be safe. And it was a, a dark day for me when I realised that that is a myth and then that I had to shatter that. that and it, it's, it behooves us as individuals, as conscious consumers, that sadly we have to make our own due diligence. We've got to do our own due diligence and ask those questions because if we don't do it, nobody else will. Welcome to The Body Never Lies. I'm your host, Leela Lutz. Each week, myself and experts from around the world help you uncover the secret ways your body communicates with you to empower you in your own individual health journey. Now, learning how to shop and learning how to cook are probably the two most important things that you can do for your health it makes you so empowered because you can really control what you're putting in your body in a good way. But what we need to remember is that we need to set up our environment for success and we also need to get our head around a lot of these limitations and beliefs around cooking being too hard, cooking having to be you know, extravagant and amazing and really getting down to the fact that 10 minutes of, of, of prep time should be enough for a good healthy meal. So I've invited a friend and colleague onto the show today, Sula Chamberlain, who is a corporate lawyer turned health coach, and her business emerged out of a passion to create a line of organic, artisanal, whole food products that didn't exist in the market. So she's a devoted mother of two. She's a real uh, and traditional foods cooking instructor. She's an author of some cookbooks. She has some amazing online cooking courses, and she has the first store in Sydney that is a solely dedicated broth bar so and she is the person I send my clients to when they come to me and they're too overwhelmed in the beginning to cook or if they need to supplement with certain superfoods that they haven't got their head around making themselves yet and I've often sent people to her if they're recovering from cancer in hospitals so she will do a meal service for them until we can get to the stage where they're ready to cook for themselves so I just wanted to preface a little bit though when I was listening back to the interview to just make sure that the message messaging is congruent with all the other podcasts there is a bit uh, in the interview where Sula talks about cutting out sugar and I really just wanted to emphasize that she's talking about cutting out sugars in junk foods and packaged foods um, I'm just really wary of making sure the message is congruent that you do need carbohydrates and we've talked a lot about that in the other episodes so root vegetables and fruits and they need to make up every meal that you eat so without further ado welcome to the show and here's Sula Chamberlain Sula Chamberlain, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome to The Body Never Lies. 
Thanks, Leela. Thanks for having me. Now you're so such a passionate person on social media, getting so, so many important messages across. But one thing that you always talk about that is really important, obviously, for the show, The Body Never Lies, is how your body spoke so many truths to you about health and what was happening on the protocol that you were following that you thought was healthy and that sparked your journey for your business. So I'd love to hear that story. Sure. So I grew up with Greek migrant parents. So while we had an abundance of really beautiful homegrown food, uh, my parents also, when they came to Australia, were seduced by the whole, you know, uh, white refined bread, right, refined sugar. We had margarine, we had Coca-Cola. They didn't know any better, okay? So I had more than my fair share of processed foods uh, growing up. And then uh, during uh, my 20s, I was working crazy long hours as a corporate lawyer, just eating takeout, fast food, uh, you know, in artificial lights, uh, hardly slept, alcohol, uh, never saw the light of day really. And uh, my first big breakdown basically happened uh, in my mid-20s. And that was basically my wake-up call. That was sort of my body saying to me, you can't keep going on. You are literally broken. You know, when you end up in a hospital bed, uh, wetting yourself and having to take two months off work and every time you went to, you know, get back to it, the universe would just throw something else my way. Um, And that was, yeah, my first big wake-up call when I thought, okay, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. The universe is sending me really loud and clear signals. But I was just so disconnected from my body. Like back then there weren't, you know, the podcast and the health and wellness books and, you know, someone asked me once, you know, what is your intuition telling you? And I just kind of looked at them blankly and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, you know, we're taught to kind of think from the head up and not really turn inward. So that was the universe sort of saying to me at the age of, you know, 26 years old, you've got to turn inwards and you've got to like ask yourself what is really going on and are your lifestyle choices really congruent uh, with vibrant health? And I didn't really know where to start, what to do. As I said, you know, there weren't the you know abundance of resources, you know, we have now. Uh, and I basically just, first of all, turned to nature. I just had this inner, you know, intuition that, okay, I don't know what to do, where to go, what to do for work. I'm at a lot. I don't have a support network. Um, and I just started trekking. I just started getting out into nature because it just felt right. And then from there, I got into yoga and, then, you know, one door would open up another door. Um, I became vegetarian because I thought at the time that that was the epitome of being healthy. The government very much steers us towards eating a high-grain, low-fat diet. So I thought we'll be super healthy by, you know, eating a, a no-fat grain-based diet, um, you know, even too scared to eat an olive because, you know, there's too much fat in it. At first, you know, I felt really, really good and vibrant for the first year or so, primarily because I was just flushing all the toxins out of my system. And, you know, eschewing all the processed foods and just, you know, filling my body with lots of fruit and veg and, and whole foods. But the problem was it's not sustainable because it wasn't uh, nutrient dense. There wasn't any animal fats in it, uh, not enough quality proteins. Um, and eventually I just, you know, kept breaking down, breaking down. And I guess the second big wake up call happened when my little baby boy, who were also raising as a vegetarian, so I had like a vegan pregnancy, my baby boy was vegetarian and in 11 months he ended up in hospital. And as a mum, that's when, you know, when the shit really hits the fan and your baby's in hospital and you have to start questioning, well, is it the things I'm putting in and on my body or not putting in and on our body that is directly contributing to our health crisis? So that's when I kind of really threw myself into 
well, what is health? What are the principal drivers uh, of nutrition? And I came across the works of Dr. Weston A. Price through my beloved naturopath and I resisted and resisted and resisted for a whole year. I'm like, you know, not eating animal products because of ethical reasons. Uh, and then I just had to, at some point, I raised the white flag uh, when I just saw my little baby boy was not thriving on round and round of antibiotics and thought like, you know, you know there's got to be a better way. And we started introducing, you know, nutrient-rich traditional whole foods into our diet for the first time in many years, like uh, pastured meats with the fat, uh, organ meats, uh, including livers and brain, uh, bone broths, uh, wild seafood, pastured eggs, uh, full-fat whole dairy, fermented foods and drinks along with, you know, fruit and veg and, you know, activated nuts. And uh, within a matter of months, if not weeks, we went from barely surviving to thriving. And that's when I thought, oh, my gosh, all this simply from changing our diet. And that's when it really hit home just how powerful food can be as medicine. And that kind of like became my catch cry, like, you know, food is the most powerful medicine available to us. And at that time in Sydney, 15 odd years ago, of course, no one was making and selling all this food. So I had no choice but to get back into the kitchen myself and make it because nobody else was doing it. And out of desperation, I just, you know, I think the only book back then was Sally Fallon's Nourishing Traditions, which I adore. But of course, it's all in ounces and really, you know, quite lengthy, unwieldy uh, recipes. So my um, my craft, uh, particularly in my days as a corporate lawyer, is really deducing information down really, really simply, stripping it back. So I started crafting my own super simple recipes, making these products, uh, these products myself, for my own family, uh, for, no, for no other reason, just to heal ourselves. Um, all our medical issues, one by one, miraculously started disappearing. And then friends were like, okay, can you just make a little bit extra for me? And then friends of friends came knocking at the door and the circle just kept expanding and expanding just through word of mouth. Um, and there was a point where I just stood in my kitchen one day and I went, oh, crap, I can't see myself returning back as a corporate lawyer. This is what I'm destined to do. Uh, so I started just making and selling products from home. It all just started in the kitchen in my garage with my, you know, babies around my ankles. Uh, and then the cooking classes started because women approached me saying, well, what's so special about this food? Can you teach us how to make it? And I felt that it was my duty, my passion, my honour, you know, my obligation to teach these women how to make this food themselves in their own home. And then I just kept getting asked so many questions about what do we eat, where do we get it from, um, macronutrient ratios, like everything under the sun. And then that's when the health coaching session started, um, purely self-taught. I didn't want to go back and learn the, you know, traditional food, conventional food pyramid because I knew I would just like throw the book at the lecturer and back, you know, 15 years ago. That's all that was really taught. So I started kind of packaging together all my uh, personal knowledge and experience, you know, over the years and uh, sat down with people and teach them the, what I call the fundamentals of robust nutrition in one-on-one -on -one health coaching sessions. Uh, and then from there, you know, public speaking. So now I do more group 
events. I still do some one-on-ones. A lot of my cooking classes are now online for people that, you know, are not based uh, in Sydney. Uh, And then, you know, one mother's helper ended up turning into 16 over the years, uh, helping me make all this food from my home. And then eventually, uh, after 16 people in my home, uh, the universe gave me a bit of a shove and I had no choice but to open up a bricks and mortar retail store, which I call Broth Bar and Larder, which is the home of Star Anise Organic Whole Foods. And that's where we make and sell all our beautiful artisan organic whole food products on site. Um, So, uh, and then I guess from there, I just started becoming passionate about, well, it's not only, you know, the food that we eat that really dictates our health. It's also what we put in uh, on top of our bodies on our skin and what we're breathing in into our home and it just kind of made no sense to me that I could see so many of my customers and clients being so meticulous about the food they were eating it they'd go home and they'd be you know spraying all the artificial perfumes and conventional personal care products and cleaning products onto them and that just made no sense to me so then I started helping them swap out all the chemicals in their home too one by one and I just call it healthy swapping so it's not uh, a matter of depriving yourself from anything. People often think that, you know, going down a healthy path means they're going to be leading this really boring, you know, life of deprivation. Uh, and nothing could be further from the truth. Your life ends up becoming more rich and wonderful and vibrant and colourful when you just kick all the toxins and you can actually think clearly and you become happier and the brain fog goes. Uh, so it's just a matter of what I call healthy swapping. So you know, whatever you're currently using that is, you know, not so great. I just help people to healthy swap it to a more nourishing, less toxic version. So I guess my mission grew from simply bringing nutrient-dense traditional whole foods back to the modern table to more broadly than that, to helping people lead a less toxic, more nourishing life in all areas of their life starting with their home because I believe that vibrant health starts in the home, starts with the products that you buy, that you're cooking and eating. It's starting with what you're putting onto your skin. It's starting with, you know, what you're spraying around the house. So that's a long answer to your question. But it's so perfect and so true. You know, it's the the first thing that I coach my clients with. We need to create the environment for change. If you're living in a house where you've got processed and packaged foods in the cupboard, you're going to eat it. So, you know, but it's not about getting rid of stuff like that. It's about swapping it with healthy swaps. So we're not living a life of deprivation. We're actually enjoying ourselves. And I actually love your, um, if you become one of Sula's members, you can get her manual. It's like a whole year of how you swap everything out of your house gradually and cost effectively, which I love as well. But let's start with the kitchen, Sula, because I think the biggest challenge I get when I get a new client, or you probably feel the same way, is they're like, I don't even cook, right? So, or or I've got clients that have got so much stuff in their kitchen, (laughs) Mm. They can't cook because the clutter is just out of control. And, you know, if you guys watch Sula on Instagram cook, it is so simple, like the most simple ingredients Um, and also really simple um, utensils and products and pans and stuff. Like we don't need a lot of fancy things and we don't need a lot of ingredients either, I think. So I really wanted to start with you today, Sula, because you are this amazing expert cook. And, you know, for those of you 
who haven't worked with me yet, you'll know that if you are really struggling in the beginning and you're just like, I just can't cook, then I send you to Sula for her (laughs) cooking that you can pick up from her beautiful business to get you started. So she's the only one that I trust in Sydney to cook food for my clients because I know the ingredients are so absolutely pure and amazing. What would be your way to start someone's pantry and kitchen off, Sula? Yeah, so the food industry has us believing that cooking from home is difficult, it's expensive, it's inconvenient, and hence, you know, steering us towards the fast food buying app. But nothing could be further from the truth. So my nutritional philosophy is that we should be eating nutrient-rich food, so buying nutrient-rich, predominantly single-ingredient food that are ethically sourced and then you and minimally pro, uh, processed so as unprocessed as possible as possible then you bring them home and there are certain rules with certain foods in terms of how you properly prepare them which i handhold people through so so that that food you can maximize its nutrient density and minimize anti-nutrients uh, and with as few ingredients as possible and few steps as possible and it's got to taste ridiculously delicious so if something is you know nutrient dense it's ethically sourced unprocessed um, minimal steps um, and it tastes delicious then really what more you know what more that you know do you want the first thing is kind of really I coach people in my food as medicine talks and one-on-one health coaching is really for them to really understand and internalize what it is that we are biologically designed to eat and to get that really clear and to understand why our body thrives on that. So, you know, your pastured animal products, chemical-free uh, veggies, lacto-fermented foods, you know, you, you pastured eggs, whole dairy if you can tolerate it, and small amounts of activated nuts, you know, your beautiful, um, you know, herbs and spices, unrefined salt. So just really understanding the basics of what we are and are not biologically designed to eat and really educating people around you know, what we're not biologically designed to eat embraces, you know, your refined grains. And, and that takes a lot for people to, you know, because grains are really pushed. I think it's, you know, the bottom of the food pyramid. It's meant to be like the bulk of what we're eating. So when I say to people, you know, we're not really biologically designed to eat much, if any, grains, you know, and that's kind of the basis of their diet. They'd be having like cereal or toast for breakfast, pasta, you know, or, you know, sandwich for lunch and pasta for dinner. It's kind of like, well, what, what else is there? So really kind of that understanding is foundational. And then from there, I gift people really simple meal plans, which is basically a formula. So my brain from, you know, my days as a corporate lawyer works in terms of formulas. So I devise these formulas, what to have for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And they're really super simple. You know, so your breakfast revolves around, for example, eggs with leafy greens and some sauerkraut and maybe a smoothie if if you can tolerate tolerate that you know lunch is basically leftovers or vegetables with quality protein and dinner my mantra is meat three veg plus broth so once you've got those formulas then knowing what to buy is simple because you're just plugging in you know to fulfill the formulas and then it doesn't to prevent taste fatigue you're swapping the things within the formula so if you take dinner meat three veg plus broth you know, every night you'll have a different type of meat, you know, a different cut of meat, different way of cooking the meat. Uh, you're alter- alternating the vegetables, you know, and then the broth, you know, you might alternate between chicken broth, beef broth, fish broth, you know. So you're not getting bored of it. You're not having the same thing every day. You want variety. You know, our body thrives 
focus on variety. You know, we want to keep it on its toes and have a full plethora of variety within the foods that we are biologically designed to eat. So, you know, handing people, you know, fact sheets on, you know, what I call pantry, fridge, freezer staples, there's not really much there. People come into my house and like, where's your pantry? It's like, well, I don't have a pantry because the vast bulk of our food is fresh food. It's, it's what in the, what's in the fridge. And really teaching people to, you know, shop at farmer's markets or shop at organic stores because it forces you to buy what is in season. At first people think, oh, my God, you know, I don't have this variety of 100 different, you know, fruits and vegetables. I've only got a smaller amount. But the fact is we're not designed to eat stone fruit in watermelon in the middle of winter, you know. So it kind of forces you to respect Mother Nature and get into the rhythms of Mother Nature. And people, you know, the comments I, I, I get are, oh, my God, you know, as you said before, Leela, this food is really simple. The ingredients are simple. The steps are really simple. I question everything, you know, every kind of thought, rule, dogma, principle I had growing up has been, you know, turned upside down, inside out on its head a million times in my life. So when I look at, you know, a recipe, I'll go, is that really necessary? And I really question it. So I strip things down really, really simply. You know, my mantra is you should be able to be in and out of the kitchen in 10 minutes. If it's taking you really more than 10 minutes to make something, um, as a general rule, it's like questioning, you know, what, what are you doing? So I love cooking. I love real food. I love sharing what I know, but I don't want to be in the kitchen all day long you know I want to be kind of in and out and then um, teaching my clients to have you know two to three good square meals a day because we're designed to be hunter gatherers and not snackers you know and I remember as a vegetarian because you know the, the food isn't as nutrient dense and you're just constantly snacking and grazing all day I was just like constantly had to revolve my my day around where I was going to be every two hours because I knew I had to eat you know and so now I just prepare three two to three square meals a day and in between I don't think about food you know I'm not obsessing about it stressing about it it's just I think it's getting yourself into a rhythm just like anything like at first you might feel oh my god this is just like a whole new language that I have to you know navigate you know for me going from a hardcore macrobiotic you know vegetarian vegan a grain-based diet you know grains and legumes uh, to then uh, a traditional whole foods or ancestral diet, real food diet, you know, uh, did involve at first a bit of a, oh, okay, I've got to reprogram how I do things. Um, now there's so many books, resources. I lay everything out for people on a, on a silver platter. And once you know what we're designed to eat, once you've got your meal formulas, once you know the due diligence questions to ask when you're buying food. So at first people just wanted to know, where do you buy your meat? Where do you buy your veggies? And I'd be giving them a list of shops, which is only helpful if you live in the same city as me. Mm. Okay. And, and it's not really helpful if that shop closes down. So what I'm now moving towards is educating people on the due diligence questions to ask when buying things. Um, and I get that from my corporate lawyer days, you know, before you buy you know, a, a company uh, or before people buy a house or a car, you know, we do so much due diligence and we know the questions to ask, you know, when we're buying a car or a house. You know, if people spent that same amount of energy and time in what they were putting in and on their, our body, there'd be a completely different healthcare system. So getting people to understand, well, what, what am I going to ask when I go to a farmer's market in terms of, you know, what I'm buying? So once you know what to ask, you know what's... You, you you know, we're designed to eat, not designed to eat. You know, you know what we're going to have for breakfast, lunch and dinner as a general rule. You know what to ask when you go and sourcing that food. Uh, it's actually quite 
simple. And it's going to be even more simple when I get my cookbook out at some point because <laughs> then everything will be laid out. But in the meantime, um, you know, come to a, uh, uh, you know, food is medicine talk or a one-on-one health coaching session or just, you know, uh, I've got a number of online cooking classes. Follow my Instagram page and stories. You'll learn so much there and realize how simple it can be. So much there, so much. And I think that's what people really need to get confident with. You're right, is asking people where their food comes from. Like I was at the farmer's market and um, one of the growers there that we were actually buying from for, for a while had organic certification. And this is where you need to ask questions, right, guys, because this guy had organic certification. We were buying him from, from him for a while. And after a while, I started thinking, he still has Brussels sprouts, but they're not in season at the moment. And after doing some investigating, he walked Brussels sprout in season a certain time of the year. So it was a huge wake-up call for me to remember not to take things for granted and do your research and do your investigation. So things like you said, knowing what's in season, we're not supposed to eat watermelon all year, it's a seasonal fruit. That'll start giving some indications. Um, but also like what I like about my butcher is he can tell me exactly which farm his animal came from, how old it was, um, where the other half is. He said to me the other day, I've got half, the other half's at Victor Churchill, you know, like being that transparent with their products and how they how they are and where they come from. And he even said to me the other day, oh, this is cut at an abattoir. The offals come from an abattoir where they have non-organic meat, so I can't guarantee this one. So I'm actually, he actually said, I'm, I'm going th- to throw it out or just give it to people for their dogs because I actually can't guarantee if it's organic. And so transparency like that is so, so important. Um, Absolutely. I often talk about provenance, um, you know, getting people to understand where did their food come from and what's being done to it and forging those beautiful relationships like you've just discussed with your butcher. Like you think about it, we used to live in close, tight-knit tribes. So we knew exactly, you know, where things were coming from. A lot of our stuff was grown ourselves, so we knew exactly. Now we're just so far removed from that process and as you become further and further removed from uh, the source of what you're eating you it's incumbent upon us just to ask more questions and most people don't most people are I don't want to use the word ignorant but they just assume that simply because it's allowed to be sold surely it must be good for you and honestly who can blame them you know I you know I'd love to live in a world where we don't have to ask whatever is you know sold on the shelf whether it's food personal care products cleaning product makeup whatever it is you know we just can assume that it's safe and this is the mentality that most people operate under and the mentality that you know bless my poor mum she used to operate under. So she used to bring stuff in the house and she would be like, Sula, surely if it's allowed to be sold, it's got to be safe. And it was a, a dark day for me when I realised that that is a myth and then that I had to shatter that. that. And it, it's, it behooves us as individuals, as conscious consumers, that sadly we have to make our own due diligence. We've got to do our own due diligence and ask those questions because if we don't do it, nobody else will. No, and then if we don't do that due diligence and start voting with our dollar about where we spend, what we buy, then it's we're not going to have change. You know, people are going to be kept being deceived by all those organisations that are trying to deceive us. I think too I found it really interesting during the pandemic that how much that became heightened because all of a sudden people couldn't shop every day 
Yeah. Did you notice that? It was so, I found that so fascinating and it was a real study in psychology for me about how people buy food and what they eat, the pandemic. And so I realised that, yeah, most people shop every day so they don't plan, so they just go to the supermarket. And supermarkets only really cater for everyday shopping and that's why when people were going to bulk buy, they were running out of stock, right? And so we live in this fast, fast-paced world and there were a amount of people in my street that were saying what do you mean I have to cook now I don't I don't cook yeah I, I don't cook every day and then after a few weeks and this is no judgment on anyone at all I was just in my observation of what's happening and and what Sula and I would say is one of the pinnacle things of our health crisis is that all of a sudden there were getting so many cook, cooking services meals delivered and so let's just talk about one of the biggest problems of takeout food even if it's stir-fried vegetables and meat, you know, which most people would think would be really healthy. Let's talk about the, and the, this is the biggest thing in difference in your business is the oils that we use. Let's talk about oil solar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so while everyone's um, quitting, uh, you know, quitting sugar, which I applaud, while, you know, the word gluten-free is becoming more trendy, which I, you know, applaud that we should be minimizing our gluten no one really is talking about what i call public enemy number one and that is industrial seed oils you know the world still hasn't really caught you know caught up with that that i think the biggest nutritional killer are your processed oils your canola your cotton seed your corn oil soybean oil safflower sunflower oil, all of those oils which are made from an extremely industrialized processed uh, and even though they're called vegetable oils, it's really clever marketing. They're not actually made from vegetables. They're made from the oil of seeds. But here's the thing. Seeds don't want to give up their oil. So to give up their oil, mankind has uh, been forced to use high pressure, high temperature and chemical solvents to try and extract the oil from the seeds. But that process makes those oils rancid and then we take these rancid oils home and they're not heat stable and then we cook them and the molecules then you know fall apart even more causing more rancidity and they are in a word toxic to the human body they cause inflammation of the body and we know that inflammation is the root cause of all modern disease whatever you want to label that disease whether it's cancer obesity diabetes uh, cardiovascular disease so uh, there's no nutritive value whatsoever in these oils they are particularly damaging to pregnant women and children um, and the sad sad news is is they are ubiquitous they are used Everywhere, like all fast food industries, even your most expensive restaurants, bar literally I can count on one hand the number that don't in Sydney. And the reason why they use is because they're cheap. So uh, my parents are migrants. They came out to Australia from Cyprus in the 1950s and in the milk bars and delicatessens and fish shops, they were all back then using beef tallow, um, butter, olive oil, all this, you know, the stuff, the fats that our great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents used to eat. Um, and then there was a directive uh, in the 1950s by the government saying that these traditional fats uh, are shown to be bad for health, you know, for cardiovascular disease. They've got to swap to canola, cottonseed, Crisco, you know. 
And since then, look at what, what has happened to chronic illness and degenerative disease. Looks what's you know happened to cancer, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. It's it skyrocketed, you know, in line with the use of these industrial seed oils. Uh, and you know, the I think it, the science is really clear now that uh, these seed oils are dangerous to health. That the uh, proponent of them. Ansel Keys in the 1950s that really pushed this on the basis of his, uh, you know, diet heart hypothesis was seriously flawed. Uh, it was discredited by the medical and the scientific community at the time as a complete nonsense. It should never have gotten out into mainstream media. Um, but for the vegetable oil industry, which was in its infancy at the time, cottoned onto the work of Ansel Keys and thought, great, we can make this guy our poster boy. We'll land him a cover of Time magazine uh, and we'll convince the public that the traditional fats that we've been, you know, using for millennia are dangerous and that we should swap to these industrialised processed uh, oils and margarine. And sadly, that has caused the biggest health scam that the world has ever seen. And more and more people are now coming out saying that, you know, we've got to go back to eating these traditional fats. But sadly, these seed oils are still so ubiquitously used and the government hasn't really come out and, you know, said we need to stop using them. Uh, they're kind of, you know, tiptoeing very slowly around the issue, probably, you know, fear of, uh, you know, the retribution that would be involved. Um, but it is really sad because as you said you go to restaurants going okay i'm just gonna have meat and veg how could i go wrong with that but for the fact that it's just marinated or coated in these seed oils which makes eating out quite a difficult process and you have to then once again do your due diligence on the restaurants and that's what i teach you know my you know, my, my customers and my clients, I say to them, right, when you, you, you know, eat at these restaurants or basically say to them, can you please cook my meal in butter or olive oil or coconut oil because I have an intolerance or whatever word you want to use too, and then you start listing them, canola, cottonseed, vegetable oil, so on and so forth. I have found the vast majority of restaurants are very accommodating to their credit. Um, and the more and more people that ask, the more that we can affect change, okay? It's not going to happen until we, the consumers, keep asking questions and saying, no, I don't want that, okay? But until that happens, uh, restaurants and fast food stores and food manufacturers are just going to keep using these seed oils. And broth bar and lighter is really an extension of my kitchen. I, I get my food from them. I, I, I would not, you know, uh, put anything in there that I and my children uh, wouldn't eat. So that's my quality assurance is, you know, it's got to be good enough for my kids and I, otherwise I'm not going to sell it because that's where, that's where we eat. So that's why I think, you know, it's been one of the, you know, the reasons for, um, you know, the ongoing success of, I don't really like using that word, but I guess people appreciate that my, my quality standards and appreciate that I will never cut corners. Um, and it's really an education campaign. The more and more people uh, who are aware of the dangers of seed oils, the more that we can really affect change. I think that is such a good summary because I think what people have got confused about is everyone thought that sugar was the bad thing. Now, anything out of balance is, is bad, but oh, I don't even like using that word, but you know what I mean. But what is actually in all those processed foods is is refined sugar but it's actually all these seed oils things like soy oil and and all of them in 
get are getting genetically modified now as well. So mm-hmm. they were rancid in the first place, but now they're genetically modified as well, and it's all in our food. And I think it's probably not going to change too much in the near future because it's so political and economically driven, right? Like, you know, in Australia we grow cotton and cottonseed oil is like if I walk down the shops at the back of all the shops, there are tins and tins drums of and oil. drums of oh it. Oh, my God. And you're just like, oh, my God, I can't people. Even the it's... most fancy expensive restaurants <sighs> coming in with these drums of canola oil. Um, and, you know, they do, uh, they, they stay in our cells for a number of years. Our body doesn't really recognise it as food and they stay in our cells they clog up the receptor sites of our cells um, and while gluten and sugar are also toxins at least they, the body can kind of recognize them to the degree to a degree and eliminate them a lot quicker um, so that's why my public enemy number one is the seed oils over and above the refined sugar and the refined gluten of course if you're a celiac uh, of diabetes, then obviously, you know, the refined sugar and the, and, and the refined starches are probably equally as problematic. But for the average person, first thing I get people to do before they're, you know, quitting sugar and, you know, quitting refined starches is number one, get rid of the seed oils. And I say to them, do you have any of these in your house? Throw them out. No safe level of consumption. Um, so that's, you know, when you're eating out, and, and eating out is nice, you know, we get a lot of you know, beautiful, you know, psychological and emotional nourishment by sharing a meal with others. So we don't want to not eat out. We don't want to live a life where, you know, we feel that, you know, the stress of eating out is going to, you know, you know, that, that we can't eat out ever again. But it's just like maybe choosing the restaurant or calling up ahead of time and saying, you know, hey, uh, can you accommodate this for me? And as I said, most restaurants are, you know, are down with that. Obviously, fast food chains are not. But that's one where I just say to people and I say to my kids, just don't eat there. It's not real food. I don't even consider it as food. So for me, it's just, in, you know, and same with anything kind of like packaged, uh, you've, got to, you've got to start reading the labels. And when I say read the labels on all packaged food, I just ignore all the marketing fluff on the front. I ignore the nutritional panel and I just get people to read the words that come after the word ingredients. Or you've got to be concerned about it's and it's the quite and then as a really general rule of thumb if your great great grandmother didn't recognize it then it, it just don't don't touch it it's don't eat it you know and another really general good rule of thumb something needs to be advertised it's probably not real food <laughs> that is so true so what um let's talk about what oils we should have in our pantry because i think everyone who's listening if you're not in my and Sula's circles or in the wellness circle you might be going oh my god i've got canola oil in my covenant so <laughs> what let's give people a swap straight away to go to their pantry okay so healthy fats are all the fats that your great great grandmother would have used so butter you know, from pastured animals, I say pastured animals, grass-fed cows, or ghee if you can't tolerate the um, casein and the lactose in butter. Ghee is a wonderful, beautiful, uh, nourishing alternative. Beef tallow. Now, beef tallow is the fat that rises to the top um, when you make your bone broth. There'll be this beautiful layer of fat on the top uh, and we just kind of skim that off or pick that off and just stick it in the freezer. It lives in the freezer, goes straight from the freezer to the frying pan. If you don't make your own beef broth, then we sell tallow cubes individually at Broth Bar and Larder. You buy them online and just simply melt down a cube at a time. Uh, Your great-grandmother also would have used duck fat. 
pork lard, um, coconut oil. And then I use extra virgin cold-pressed olive oil as a finishing oil on top of um, veggies, raw or cooked veggies, as opposed to really cooking with olive oil uh, because olive oil is a monounsaturated fat, which means that there's one place in the molecular chain where oxygen can muscle in and cause the molecule to fall apart. So it's not as heat stable as your saturated fats as your butter and beef tallow and duck fat and pork lard and coconut oil. They're saturated with hydrogen atoms so that they're really stable. So there's less chance of oxygen kind of muscling in and causing the molecule to fall apart. So I tend to cook my meat with beef tallow because it comes from the animal you're cooking, so it's perfect. I tend to cook veggies with or fish with butter. And if I'm doing like an Asian or a um, Indian curry, I'll tend to use coconut oil. Um, and then, as I said, I tend to use my olive oil cold as a finishing oil on top. So they're basically the fats. Uh, that you should have in your in your pantry or your fridge or freezer. And I think a good rule of thumb is to stick to if it's if if when it's at room temperature it's not a solid mass, then you should not cook with it. And that's the easiest way to remember to single out the olive oil, right? Because olive oil is always a liquid. Yeah. And you also got to be careful. A lot of there's a lot of greenwashing going on here, where a lot of organic brands will have, say, for example, goat's curd or feta supposedly marinating in olive oil and then when you read the ingredients it also contains canola oil and the reason why they put canola oil in there is because olive oil will go really cloudy in the fridge and that doesn't look good whereas canola oil will be clear mm. so they'll just put like a dash of olive oil in there and the bulk of it will be canola oil and then they put it on the label marinating in olive oil so this is the reason why there is no excuse to reading the labels you've got to keep reading the labels even if it says organic plastered all over it you still have to read the labels absolutely because you can have organically past you can have organic meat that's been fed organic grain for instance and we don't want to eat animals that eat grains yeah so it's not about so much the presence uh, of the organic certification it comes down to saying is this grown and read the way nature intended because a lot of things I buy that are not certified organic because the farmer or the supplier hasn't gone to the trouble and expense of getting that certification and conversely there's a lot of things that are certified organic that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole so you always have to go back and go is this grown and read the way nature intended you know you ask your due diligence questions you read the uh, the label if it comes in a package yeah, perfect. So the two things that I want to ask you about cooking-wise, so that's the, that's the number one thing I would get everyone to swap out of their pantry as soon as they get off this podcast is throw all those oils in the bin. Don't even go, I'm going to finish them because, you know, I don't want to waste money, just throw them in the bin, <laughs> get rid of them. Um, so and I think like Sula and I are very much the same. I don't have a very big pantry because there's nothing in there. <laughs> I have lots of herbs and spices. I'm, I'm, you know, come from a Sri Lankan and Indian background, so we have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of spices. But apart from that, people come, people are the same. They come to my house like, where are your sauces and oils and stuff? No, I just make all that stuff as I go. Um, so, but the big thing that you make that I get, I send people the most customers to you for is one, two of the most important both metabolic and nutrient-dense foods, and that is broth, which everyone should be having every single day. And I actually have multiple cups of broth a day. 
and there's reasons for that. And organ meats, which everyone should be having a very good serving of every week, and menstruating women should be having an egg double serving in their week leading up to menzies. Let's talk about broth. And you, and you have two amazing classes in your um, website that people can do online with your cooking classes, um, one about broths and one about organ meats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about the basics of broth because it's so easy. Broth is so easy. It's just literally bones, but yeah. they're well-sourced, you know, so pastured, pastured bones, uh, filtered water. So really one big thing I get people to do is swap out tap water with filtered water, so getting a good water filter. Uh, and I have a company that I recommend. So, you know, we can give details to that if you would like. Um, and some organic herbs and spices. You can chuck in some veggies if you want, but you don't have to. We don't at Broth Bar because a lot of our clientele, uh, um, you know, can't have certain vegetables. So we just make it as allergenic-free as possible. Um, I provide all the ratios, so getting the, you know, the quantity of the water and the bones and the salt and all that just right. Um, so benefits of bone broth. A few reasons. Number one is collagen. So collagen is the the glue that holds the bones of animals and humans together. So bone broth um, is really important for building, maintaining and repairing uh, your osteoskeletal system. That's what collagen does. So joints, cartilage, ligaments, tendons, bones, muscles, um, and particularly for children whose bones and osteoskeletal system is growing, for pregnant women who are growing a mini-human inside of them. Um, Our collagen uh, starts diminishing after the age of 25 and diminishes rapidly uh, as uh, older that we get. So collagen really is, for me, um, bone broth really was my saviour in terms of eliminating all my osteoskeletal issues. So my big thing, my big health issue was osteoskeletal. So people have, you know, different things. A lot of people, uh, you know, come to me with digestive issues or lack of period or this or that. For me, I kept breaking bones. I had tight ropey muscles. I had biweekly osteo appointments. Um, I had creaky joints. Uh, and I just thought, well, that's just my lot in life. And I didn't realise it wasn't until I started consuming one cup of bone broth a day that all my osteoskeletal issues vanished. And I've had the same osteo for like 20 years. It's just like it's like treating a different body. You know, I, I don't need to go see him anymore. Um, collagen isn't just found all throughout our osteoskeletal system. It's also found, it's a built, primary structural building block in our hair, skin and nails. So this is why I coined the phrase about 15 years ago, bone broth is my Botox. Because people kept saying, well, you've got such amazing skin, you know, uh, what, what do you use? You know, do you see a plastic surgeon? You know, what do you put on your skin? It's like, primarily just have a lot of bone broth, you know. Um, So that's what collagen does, osteoskeletal and hair, skin and nails. Then when you cook collagen, it breaks down into gelatin. Gelatin is gut healing and sealing. It provides a beautiful mucosal layer on the gut. And given that gut issues are becoming more and more prevalent in society today, it's becoming more and more important that people start healing and sealing their gut. And the number one food for that is broth. Okay, uh, and then one of the essential amino acids in gelatin is uh, called glycine. Glycine is really important because it balances out our muscle meat intake, and there's a whole body of science around that, which I won't go into, but I do go into it in my bone broth workshop. Basically, saying if we eat muscle meat, and there's nothing wrong with that, I think we're biologically designed to eat muscle meat. It's incumbent upon us to team the muscle meat, though, with a glycine-rich food. Where's glycine found? The bones of animals. 
Okay, so in the West, we, unless you're vegetarian, we tend to eat abundant quantities of methionine-rich muscle meat, but glycine uh, has, uh, glycine-rich foods like bone broth have really fallen by the wayside and you get this imbalance. Okay, so that's why having the broth um, balances out our muscle meat, methionine-rich muscle meat intake so that our body is balanced, okay? Um, and glycine is also really important to help the liver detoxify. Now, given the ubiquitous toxicity of our modern-day environment, I think it's now more important than ever in the history of mankind that we avail ourselves of detoxifying foods like bone broth to assist the liver in its near-constant detoxification task. So for all these reasons, as you said, one cup of bone broth a day if you've got gut issues or osteoskeletal issues, you can increase it. Uh, there's always exceptions to the rule, which, you know, you can work with an integrative practitioner. But that's our general rule. And that's my, you know, why my dinner mantra is meat three veg plus broth. Okay. And they all come together in a soup. That all comes together in a casserole or a curry. So whatever we're having, it's always going to be some variation of meat three veg plus broth. Uh, we just tend to have a, you know, a cup of chicken or beef broth uh, with a good squeeze of lemon juice, you can add what we call other flavour bombs uh, that we call them at broth bars, things like, you know, minced ginger, garlic, tamari, red boat fish sauce. You can add in, you know, a food grade uh, essential oil, you know, these beautiful flavour bombs that, you know, add a lot of nutrients and flavour or you can just have it straight up uh, with, with your dinner meal. So that's the benefit of broth. <laughs> It is, and it's a really good way. So with my clients, if I'm working with clients that have thyroid issues or metabolic issues, I often get them to have quite a lot of broth, like nearly with every meal because of that exact reason that Sula said the glycine helps with the muscle meats. Um, and so some people like digestively challenged can't break meat down properly, so they need them hand in hand for quite a long time. Um, so keeping that higher than their fat count. Um, so... That's another good tri trick for everybody. But broth is so easy. And it's, oh, I've got a question for you, Sula. So all my clients say, you know, do I have to brown? You know, we were talking before about taking all the hard steps out of recipes. So if you're like Sula and myself and you've been cooking for years and years, like I, I'm Sri Lankan, good Sri Lankan Indian girl, so I've been cooking since I was able to reach the stove. But you start to learn all the things that are fluff and all the things yeah. That are necessary. And this is because I think this is a big barrier for people to cook. I've got to brown the bones and put them in the oven, do all the da, 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 da. let's talk about yeah. let's just make it's it simple. To do that, yeah, just keep it really simple. The only reason why historically people brown the bones is for flavor, it doesn't add any nutri nutrition to it. Browning takes importance if you're um, cooking something for a shorter period of time. So because we are advocates of long, slow cooking, you know, we're making a bone broth overnight, so, you know, 8 to 15 hours, it's already going to be so nutritious and flavoursome enough just from that long, slow cooking process that any additional nutritional, um, any additional flavour benefits you're going to get from browning is going to be so minimal as it's not going to be worth it. Now, I could see the benefits of browning if, you are only, like a restaurant, is only going to, for example, they choose to only make a broth for two hours or they're going to make a, you know, a casserole or a stew for two hours, then browning the meat, browning the bones takes on more importance. That's why my mum always did that because she couldn't fathom the idea of me leaving something in the oven overnight for, for, for 10, 12, 15, 24 hours. She's like, oh, my God, how could you do that? 
Whereas for me, it's kind of like easy. And the other thing you've got to understand is like 10, 15, 24 hours of slow cooking doesn't mean it's 10, 15, 24 hours of effort. It's literally a few minutes of effort to reap the rewards of that flavor that's generated from 10, 15, 24 hours of cooking. So, you know, when people say, oh, you know, 24 hour cook, they think, oh my God, that's so much work. And it's like, it is so easy. I'm having friends over for dinner tonight. It literally took me single digit minutes to rub some spices over a lamb shoulder and bang it in the oven for, you know, six odd hours. And we're going to have this beautiful lamb that's just, you know, the meat's just going to fall off the bone. And everyone's going to go, oh, my God, this must have taken you hours. And it's, like, really embarrassing. At dinner parties, it's like, really only took me a few minutes. And then I threw, threw a salad together, and that's only a few minutes. So this whole you know, dinner party really took me some total of 10 minutes. And people just don't believe it. So, you know, it's particularly coming from a vegetarian background where, you know, I felt that there was just, I spent all day in the kitchen because you had to soak the grains and the legumes and combine them and, you know, you're chopping up so much vegetable matter. Whereas now traditional whole foods cooking or ancestral diet, paleo diet, real foods diet, whatever you call it, I just call it a real foods diet basically, is just so quick and simple. And yeah, I really question each of the steps. So when I got, you know, uh, you know, whatever recipe I started with, like today, I just use all my own recipes. Uh, but back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I'd work from a cookbook, I really kind of looked at them and go, well, do I need to do that? Even things like, do I really need to add the veggies into the broth? Or can I get away with not doing that if I don't have any? Do I really need to add the vinegar into the broth? Because when you're doing things also as a business, you've got to like question, you know, it, it's costing money to do each of those things. So I found a scientific study that showed when they added vinegar to the bone broth, it didn't actually extract any minerals from the bone. So we skipped that step. Um, so basically we just stripped down this broth recipe to literally filtered water, quality bones, organic herbs and spices in a particular ratio and then, you know, it takes a few minutes to throw it together, forget about it literally, you know, overnight and then you just strain it and add salt in a particular ratio when you strain it and you're done. And I, I always recommend do it in big batches so you're not doing it every week. Get the biggest pot that you can lift. Most people can lift 20 kilos. So get a 20-litre pot uh, and then, you know, make it, you know, once a month or however many people are in your family, you'll have to do the maths on that. Uh, so you're not making it, you know, every single day. It's just kind of like going to be a once a fortnight or once a month thing. And, of course, there's going to be times where, you know, if you don't have the time, energy and bandwidth to make it, you know, you can buy it. There's so many places now that do sell bone broth. You know, 15 years ago on the market, I was the only one. You know, I was the only kombucha manufacturer. I was only a beet kvass. I was the only activated nuts, uh, only manufacturer of raw treats that didn't have agave syrup in them or raw sugar. But now there's, and it's a wonderful thing. There's so many supplies. There's really no excuse in this day and age, unless you live in a really remote town, if you live in a metropolitan city, there's really no excuse. You should be able to access quality food, either make it yourself or find somewhere that, that you can access it from. So, right, then bone broth has probably got to be my biggest add to people, even to just do it once a week, like you said, in a big pot and put it in the fridge or freezer. Yeah. The second, yes, go, the next one I wanted to ask you about was organ meats. People so, I mean, we went on a thing where we thought organ meats were so bad for us and hopefully more people are coming around 
Um, and I like to make fun of my husband because he still thinks they taste funny, but that's also a mindset to get over. Tell us about organ meats. Yeah. You do really cool things with organ meats and you have a whole course on how to cook organ meats. Let's talk about yeah, organ meats. How to sneak them into family-friendly meals or present them loud and proud. Um, so organ meats are the most nutrient-dense food on the planet bar none. So gram for gram, they've got more, you know, the highest nutrient density than any other food on the planet. The reason why we bang on and on about nutrient-dense food or nutrient-rich food is this, is because all all of the systems, structure and functions of the human body are built from and run on one thing and one thing only and that is nutrients. So from our digestive system, endocrine system, immune system, nervous system, osteoskeletal system, reproductive system, skin health, brain health, the whole kit and caboodle is built from and runs on nutrients. So therefore, our nutritional paradigm should all be about focusing on nutrient-rich foods. What is the most nutrient-dense food on the planet? Organ meats. And of course, we're talking about organ meats from pastured sources. It once again, it all comes down to back to provenance, so source and processing. So of course, we're talking about not industrial feedlot and confinement, but, you know, uh, from animals that are roaming free on pasture in sunshine, eating what they're biologically designed to eat. Okay, so organ meats are really, really high in iron. They're really, really high in all your B group vitamins, particularly your folate. Now, ponder that if you're pregnant or wish to become pregnant. The highest food source of folate is livers. Okay, so with my second uh, pregnancy, what I call my Western A Price baby, I just decided I'm not going to take a single supplement. I'm going to just do baby unplugged and food is going to be my medicine. She came out the most healthy, your know, highest red blood cell count doctor had ever seen. He's like, what are you eating? I said, all the stuff you tell pregnant women not to eat, <laughs> like your raw dairy, your oysters, your, um, your livers. And he just said, okay, don't tell me that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, they're really high in vitamin A, D and K2. Now, vitamin A is the constant master of fetal development. And by that, I mean it, vitamin A is responsible for giving babies that beautiful, broad face, high cheekbones, wide dental arch so that their teeth are perfectly formed. And it's just not a matter of wanting a beautiful, aesthetically looking baby. Um, function follows form. So if you're well formed, our faces are meant to be as wide as they are long and few of us really fit that criteria other than supermodels, which is why they paid a squillion, but that's how we all should be looking really. Um, you can then breathe better. You don't have to have teeth removed. You can chew better. You can sleep better. So there's all these physiological advantages of having a face that is well-structured and well-formed. And, you know, there's so many studies done now, you know, both in animal, you know, animal subjects in particular, where if you deprive someone of vitamin A, like Pottinger did in his famous cat experiments, uh, where he took two groups of cats, you know, and fed one group of cat foods biologically designed to eat uh, and the other group of cat processed foods. Uh, and he just, and he, uh, procreated them over 10 generations and he just saw what happened you know when you feed a species the food that it's biologically designed to eat um for generation after generation after generation produce really healthy you know species 
Now, when you feed a species food, it's not biologically designed to eat, uh, you know, disease and illness follows and it just gets exacerbated and exacerbated and exacerbated with each generation as the health bank account gets usurped and gets used up, you know, because you're passing on a lower health bank account to the next generation and they're not like replenishing it by making good investments. They're just constantly making withdrawals and at some point you're going to crash and burn and go into the red and that's where, you know, infertility, depression and all that happens. So, you know, we were we're saying now we're seventh generation pottinger cats. Um, and it's due to the fact that we are nutritionally devoid. Our diets are so nutritionally devoid. So our imperative as a species, if we're going to, you know, not only thrive but just basically survive, uh, is to start incorporating this nutrient-rich food back into our diet including, you know, these odd bits that our great-grandparents, you know, used to eat the bones, the organs, the fat of the animals. Now, organ meats, you know, have a lot of ick factor around them and that's just purely cultural, you know. Like if you go to countries like France, organ meats are everywhere, even in the most touristy cafes, every supermarket will sell organ meats. People just get it. There's pâtés, there's terrines, you know, the French love their sweetbreads. Like it's just normal. But somewhere along the line in other Western countries, organ meats kind of were relegated to the, you know, the yucky ick factor. And I see that in my kids, you know, up until they went to school, they'd happily eat livers and lamb's brains and, you know, black pudding and, you know, all these organ meats. And then something weird happened when they went to school. I don't know what it is, but they'd come home and then I'd say, this is what we're cooking for dinner and their noses would turn up. And then, you know, you have to try and then sneak them in. So, you know, lamb's brains now, instead of being crumbed, you know, in activated buckwheat, I now have to, you know, sneak them into omelets and just treat them like an egg, lift them up. You know, pate is a really easy, palatable way of incorporating organ meats into your diet. The French really nailed it with that creamy dips. I say to people, you know, just even have some pate on a few rounds of um, sliced apple or cucumber rounds uh, or celery sticks or some really quality sourdough or sprouted bread just as an entree before your main meal you don't have to you know, start with a big solid block of you know liver just start small and incorporate it you know for years i've been shaving raw frozen uh chicken livers into my smoothies no one even knows it's there you can't really taste frozen food we now sell it in you know cube form at broth bar and larder we do organic beef broth and liver cubes just you know a way of just sneaking it in. Uh, so, yeah, as you said, Leela, I've got an entire workshop, organ meat workshop, that goes through the nutritional theory about organ meats and how you can really incorporate them uh, into your diet. So um, vitamin A, as I said, not only really important for uh, proper formation, uh, it's the number one vitamin for, for the skin. You know, so when I had in my early 20s, you know, I laugh when people comment on my skin now because I think, oh, my God, if you saw my skin in my late teens, early 20s, I had the worst case of cystic acne that any dermatologist in Queensland had ever seen. And, of course, back then, you know, what, what does my mum do? She didn't know. Takes me to a doctor. They put me on the pill. They give me Roaccutane, you know. And what is Roaccutane? It's mega, mega high doses of synthetic vitamin A with a whole heap of side effects. You know, if the doctor just said, Start eating liver, start eating organ meat, start eating your chicken liver pate. There's no side effects. It's a hell of a lot cheaper. Uh, and it's natural because there's an intelligence in food that you will never, ever be able to replicate in a pharmaceutical or a pill, okay? So there's an intelligence in there and that's what we have to really respect 
and get back to, get back to these, you know, really revere the wisdom of our ancestors uh, and we need to go back to that because sometimes I think it is the height of human arrogance to think that we, we know better than them. And what really excites me is when the science really backs up ancestral wisdom and then it's uh, fortified by my own personal experience. So, yeah, getting organ meats back to the modern table. Uh, and it's wonderful to see our pate at Rothbar and Lada is just, you know, it's selling. Like at first people were like, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. But people are buying it. So that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's so good. It's slowly changing. And if you don't like, if you work with me and you don't like liver, I always start you off on desiccated liver so you can just, because the nutrient benefits from it are something that's very, very essential for every single human being. So all of my clients that refuse to eat organ meats get put on desiccated organ meats. So and then quite simply, you can get some chicken liver, organic chicken liver, cut it up into pill-sized portions and freeze it. Exactly. And just take it like a, a liver pill, so, so much cheaper than, you know, a liver supplement. So you can do that. There's so many different ways of getting it into you. Yeah, and really important, you know, that way that there's there's always something that you can do that will fit in your budget, fit in your time schedule, you know, have a look with with Sula's resources. She has all the answers for that kind of thing. And the other thing, like livers and, and uh, bones are so cheap because, you know, compared to your, your eye, feel it. Uh, you know, the cost of food is simply a function of economy, supply and demand because not that many people are demanding uh, bones and livers. They're still relatively cheap, you know, compared to your, you know, your muscle meat. So if you're on a budget, say, great, just eat organ meats. You don't have to have muscle meats. You know, in fact... You know, to our hunter-gatherer ancestors, it was the bones, the fat and the organs that were the most highly prized part of the animal. The muscle meat was often uh, discarded. So, you know, I often say to people, if a hunter-gatherer walked into a modern-day butcher, they'd be scratching their head going, what the heck are you guys eating? You know, we threw out all this stuff. Where's all the good bits? Where's the bones, the fats and the organs? And that's why one of my missions in life is to bring these odd bits back to the modern table. Well, yeah, and, and animals in the wild always eat out the inside of the animal first as well. We saw that when we went to Africa, the savannas of Africa, yeah. And they know that those, those are the most nutrient-dense meats um, and they're the most metabolic meats as well. So if you actually have trouble with muscle meat, you will be able to digest organ meats much better and much easier. Um, so they're actually a better place to start with if you're returning back to eating meat. I would go broth first and then organ meats, and then muscle meats. Let's talk about what other essentials that you need in terms of cooking because this is another thing. Like Now, Shula has a, a thermomix and I'm sure everyone's coveting her thermomix, but I don't want the barrier to entry to cooking to be that you need to have a thermomix. So let's just, you know, sometimes I actually go into my client's cupboards and throw appliances out. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the essentials. I, I was given one, so it's like you know, if it wasn't for that, I'd, I'd be you know. So the essentials basically are: I think you need a good food processor, so something mm. to chop food up to make it really easy. If you you know chopping up large batches of things, or you know, to I used to use my food processor just to make a smoothie instead of a blender. I just had you know just use my food processor uh, to make cakes. I make cakes in food processor, so I use my food processor a lot. I just call my Thermomix, and this would be really offensive to, I apologise to all the Thermomix consultants out there, I just call my Thermomix a really expensive food processor. Uh, it, the only benefit, well, one of the benefits it has is it does heat at the same time, which your ordinary uh, food processor doesn't heat, but that's okay. I just used to heat things up, you know, on a stove, you know, in a saucepan. 
So good quality the uh, good quality food processor. If you want to grind up um, things like buckwheat, which is what we call like a pseudo grain, it's a gluten free grain. So I use that a lot for you know biscuits, cakes, muffins, uh, schnitzel, you know things like that. Then if your thermomix isn't quite cutting it fine enough, processing it fine enough. That's when I did used to have a separate coffee spice grinder, nut grinder. The advantage of the Thermomix is it does both of those, you know, it does that, it grinds up really finely. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, um, small quantities, I used to have a stick blender, like if I wanted to make, you know, tomato sauce or, you know, blend up a small quantity of something, a stick blender. Now, with my Thermomix or you've got a good food processor, so you don't mind having to wash the whole thing, you can just use that. Saucepans, uh, make sure that they are either um, cast iron, which is quite heavy, or just stainless steel. And I've done a frying pan blog post, so if you just go to my website and search frying pans, it will come up. Um, I'm not wedded to any particular brand, but, you know, I list some of the ones that I use there. Um, and I avoid... Teflon and other non-stick surfaces. So, you know, Teflon's a really, it's a kind of a double-edged sword and it came about because of the low fat movement. So it came about because, you know, when we were told to cut out fat and things were sticking on the frying pan, you know, that's going to be an issue. Whereas I just said, people just use lots of butter and, you know, coconut oil or beef tallow, the fats we described before on stainless steel, uh, and then soak it the minute you finish cooking it and scrub it and it's going to be fine. I have zero issues with cleaning it. Um, so the great thing about stainless steel is it forces you to use more saturated fats. <laughs> and then when I'm slow cooking in the oven, I just love my beautiful cast iron pots. They're something that, you know, get handed down from generation to generation. Um, you can use a slow cooker. I just prefer, I'm a traditional cook. So I'm going to always, you know, cover and have a bias towards um, my beautiful, you know, Le Chasseur and uh, Le Creuset cast iron pots. Uh, so I have a few of those in different sizes. I think the slow cooker is a really good one, though, because I recommend it to a lot of people who who actually haven't been cooks historically or if they're out all day and they're worried about leaving their oven on and stuff like that. So if you don't feel comfortable about leaving uh, a cast iron pot in the oven or on the stove all day or all night then and you feel more comfortable with a slow cooker, great, by all means use that. Um, and that's fine. So the things to look for in a slow cooker, uh, and I cover this in my casseroles workshop or my slow cook workshop just make sure that the insert is lead free um that's something to look out for and just get the biggest size you can uh so that if you're making a slow cook just you know make a big size so that you can freeze some so you're not having to constantly cook and you also don't need ones with any fancy functions like i have to, i've never used any setting on my slow cooker except low low exactly just low <laughs> yeah. low yeah and just some no metal. browning, no nothing, no nothing like just really simple, the most simple, cheap slow cooker. Measuring cups and spoons, the most basic scale with the less, you know, you know, electronic functions, um, and that's pretty. And you know, some good quality knives, and I just get them professionally sharpened every so often, and that's basically it. Some good chopping boards. I have a combination of. Um, I don't actually have plastic ones anymore. They're just they're all wood or marble. It's basically wood, uh, and that's it. And just you know, uh, some good quality non-toxic dishwashing liquid, uh, and just you know, obviously what you're using is make sure it's environmentally friendly. So, you know, scourers, uh, the 
steel wool, those little bits go off into the ocean, the fish eat it, we then eat the fish. So slowly, slowly, one by one, just healthy swapping out all your, you know, non and eco-friendly stuff with your eco-friendly stuff and that's there's so many beautiful websites out now so many gorgeous shops you know it's it's a beautiful thing uh it's not going to be hard to find eco-friendly places to buy things from i think too when you change when you change over to cooking with more saturated fats and better ingredients your thing your pots actually get treated <laughs> by these fats yeah. and they become better the cooking where actually becomes I don't know, it, it gets that beautiful used look and you know, you actually don't need to clean them as much as we think we do, like the heating of it, it cleans the pot. So uh, you don't need so many chemicals. I find my kitchen so much cleaner. I mean, it's been a long time since I swapped everything in my home, but let's start with some good some good healthy swaps to do because I've actually forgotten. And, and it, I think it's really important to know that it can take years to transition Absolutely. To be and patient with yourself. Yeah. yeah. And just uh, what I, you know, it reinforced people, Rome wasn't built in a day. This is a journey. You know, I've been on this journey now for like, you know, 25 years, you know, started healthy swapping things out one by one. And it doesn't all have to be done, at, you know, immediately. And, you know, once you're, you know, um, a member in my, in my team, you know, we, as you mentioned before, we map out, you know, a, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a suggested weekly or monthly swapping out schedule so that you don't feel overwhelmed. It's baby steps. And, you know, it's just like even if you, you know, with your food, I give people like, you know, I think in my health coaching sessions it's like 36 weeks of healthy swaps. And I'm actually doing an Instagram this year called 52 Weeks of Healthy Swaps. If you just did that one change of, you know, swap a week with your food, like, you know, swapping margarine to butter, grain-fed meat to grass-fed meat, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, farmed fish to wild fish, so on and so forth. It, you know, at first it doesn't feel like you're making much progress, but then you look back over a course of a year or two and go, man, look how far I've come. And then with your personal care products and cleaning products, I just say to people, as things run out, swap it out. You know, so you're a good household cleaner. Guess what I discovered in the past four years? You don't need to have a separate window cleaner, shower cleaner, bench cleaner, floor cleaner, you know, this cleaner, that cleaner. You just, I just use one product, okay? One really good, non-toxic, eco-friendly, um, cost-effective cleaner, uh, which I get from Young Living. I've just swapped all my personal care products and cleaning products to one company because it just, they're a one-stop shop and it conveniently streamlines everything to one place, which is amazing. So for time for busy mums like me that don't want to race around to multiple different shops, places and websites to get everything. You can purchase everything from your home, delivered to your door and streamline it all. So that's great. There's really no excuses there. Um, so a really good household cleaner. And then when things run out, shampoo, conditioner, toothpaste, dishwashing liquid, laundry liquid, um, hand soap, body wash, they're the basics. Just swap them over, you know. And then we teach you how to do it really cost effectively because, Another kind of barrier is people think this is, I can't afford this, this is going to cost too much money. And so we kind of work with people to show them both on the food front and the personal care front and the cleaning front that it's not going to cost you more money. It can actually save you money, particularly when you get rid of all the other peripheral stuff that you don't need. You know, if I go into someone's house and do a pantry raid or go into their, you know, their, their laundry and their bathroom, we just start taking 
taken out the stuff that you don't really need and you just strip it back to the bare basics and they're good quality stuff, okay? And we teach you how to, you know, you can dilute certain products to really stretch them out if you're on a budget. So my household cleaner cost me $1.60 for 500ml spray bottle, $1.60. You can't get a toxic cleaner for that. So, you know, we tell people that they're like, oh, okay, no, I can do this. You know, a shampoo and conditioner cost me $11 because I teach them how to, you know, dilute it to, you know, stretch down. They're like, okay, that's, I can do that. Um, so lost my train of thought. But, yeah, so swapping things out, making it really cost effective. And that's where I was going with that. Getting rid of all the peripheral stuff. So, you know, when I look in people's cupboards and there's like, you know, there's all these, you know, Tim Tams and this and that and that, you know, and when you take all those out and just say, right, you're just going to make one quality uh, cake a week or one quality, you know, let's make some bliss balls or make this and that will swap out all these hundreds of different packets. Uh, and people go, oh, okay, and getting the kids involved. And also when you when you're healthy and you're not sick as often, think of all the medical expenses that oh you're saving. You know, like there was a point in my life where my medical expenses, I think I calculated $20,000 a year, uh, you know, in my mid-20s uh, where I was out of action, just, you know, going from this person to that person to that. But that's when it really hit home. It's going to save me a lot of money if I stay healthy and I stay out of the system and I'm independent in my healthcare. I use food as medicine. I use non-toxic cleaning products, personal care products. I stay healthy. I don't get sick. I don't need to see a plethora or an army of people. And I'm saving money and, you know, you're living your best vibrant life and you've got, you know, more time, more energy. It's just win-win all around. Mm. It's so, so true. I think that is a huge barrier to entry is cost. And, um, oh, God, Sula and I could show you our budgets and show you how much money we actually save having transferred over to, you know, people think organic food is expensive. Um, and, you know, you can start with the looking at the clean, you know, 15 and just working off that and eating the rest organic. You know, do, do small little steps. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. But I think... For a lot of people have never even sat down, we were talking about this before, so never actually sat down and done a budget and looked at how, how much they actually spend per week on getting toast for breakfast on the way to work or, you know, getting Uber Eats a couple of times a week or coffees. Like, you know, my husband and I wanted to inject a bit extra into our savings and we were, we looked and we were both like, we spent $100 a week on takeaway coffee. Hundred dollars to, to raw cacao, whole milk, um, which you can do in your own home. You know, two ingredients. And it's delicious, and it really, you know, gives you that lift. Um, absolutely. And eating out is not cheap. Eating out is expensive. It is yeah, expensive. So- when you people say, "Well, you can't cook a meal for that price," and I go, "But the amount of food that you've got too is not enough to feed." people or you look at when when you get a meal from a restaurant or from a takeaway place there's like two pieces of meat in there and all the rest is liquid and vegetable like it's not actually a full nutrient dense and calorie dense meal it's it's just not enough food so I think it's really important for people to actually look at the belief that being healthy is too expensive and like Sula said like I've had a health condition that's cost me thousands of dollars thousands um and so you know Saul and I both been affected by mold if you want to go read about that you can go read about it on Saul's website um we've had different financial hefty loads from that in different ways 
But it, it really reminded me, like, yeah, what it must cost people who are not healthy to have a health condition. Well, as the saying goes, you know, if you think organic food is expensive, have you seen the cost of cancer recently? You know, astronomical. So, you know, and, and the good thing is, is, you know, once you understand that our health is less driven by our genes and more driven by epigenetics, our lifestyle choices, which we control, that to me was such a big turning point in my journey. It's like, oh, my God, we're in the driver's seat. We get to choose, in a way, what our health is going to be. And that's not to say you're never going to get sick or you're never, you know, but you have then control of how you treat it and you bounce back just so much quicker. So true. I'm so grateful for this chat today, Sully. You've given us so much wealth information. Like we've only just touched the iceberg of what Sula has in her wealth. I cannot believe it. Like, um, you know, I know a lot about health, but Sula's, <laughs> Sula's exactly right. She has brought all her lawyer knowledge. <laughs> like I showed it to my husband who's a lawyer, her manual on this healthy swaps, and he was like, oh, my God. I was like, she's a lawyer. He went, yeah, that's that's a lawyer. A lawyer wrote that. It's so detailed. You literally don't even have to think. You can just follow her instructions. Totally clean out your pantry, your cleaning cupboard, your makeup cupboard, your cosmetic, everything, and get your life healthy, totally toxin-free. Um, and also her cooking workshops are amazing because she will get broth and liver into your children without them knowing about it and you'll do it. You'll do the food prep in 10 minutes and that's what's really important. Sula and I love to cook but we don't spend hours cooking. Like I actually set aside, I'm a busy mum, she's a busy mum, we both run businesses. I think I set, I set aside two hours a week and I do batch cooking and then we just do little bits of cooking every day. So that's that's it for me. Like obviously if I was having a dinner party and I was doing all the curries and the chutneys and the, I would spend hours, but that's from love and joy, not from necessity. And, you know, so get onto Sula's website and have a look at her broth, especially her broth workshop, her organ meats workshop and her desserts. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So um, we really encourage you to take control of your life take health in your own hands, listen to what your body's telling you. You know, every time you think, well, I can actually live on takeout every night of the week or, you know, I don't, I don't have time to cook, cook my own food, like listen to what your body is telling you about that and take the power in your hands and jump on Sula's website and download a cooking class. Or if you're in Sydney, I encourage you to buy, go into her store and have lunch and, um, did you know she even puts broth in ice cream? <laughs> her brothsicles. Yeah, I don't think, I'm so sorry to everyone who's not living in Sydney because I don't think they'll make the journey to you. <laughs> she also does home deliveries, meal plans. Like I've had can- patients, clients that have had cancer and I've got Sula to provide all their meals for them when they're in, in recovery. You can get it delivered to you in hospital. Like there's this... The resources from Sula are so endless. Um, I was going to get you to promote yourself, but I just got so excited about everything that you do. Healthy swapping their personal care products, cleaning products and makeup. So there's a a free uh, workshop on my website on that. So they can jump onto the workshops page uh, and that's that's free. So just I just want people to kick the chemicals out of their life in any way, shape and form and healthy swap to more nourishing versions. <laughs> 
And, and, and so buy political classes um, as bundles to save as well if you want to look into the course. Oh, awesome. The one is uh, really great too because um, it incorporates the broth making. So do the broth workshop first, but then once you've got a handle on broth, making slow cooks is just game-changing. You know, coming home and there's like a dinner ready for you or for dinner parties. You can spend the entire day literally at the beach knowing there's something slow cooking at home and just got to team it with a salad and you're done. Uh, so it's really simple. Well, when I was single, I used to call my, my slow cooker my boyfriend because <laughs> I'd come home and dinner would be ready for me. <laughs> and now, you know, that both I'm, you know, have a family, it's, we, I still use it just as much. I use it, we use it pretty much every single day. That slow cooker is, I don't know, it's got years and years of oil soaked into it from all the meals that are being prepared. Um, thank you so much, Saul. I really appreciate it. My it's pleasure. been so nice to interview you. So, oh, your website. Please tell everyone your website. So staranisorganic.com and my Instagram is also staranisorganic, so S-T-A-R-A-N-I-S-C, organic. Um, so you can check that out. Yeah, and I'll put all the resources for those workshops. The and if you're in the uh, water filter, the water shop is where I get my RO reverse osmosis water filter with an alkalizer. I mention my name and you'll get 20% off. You can just call them. You don't have to go visit them and you just choose a four set and they just do the rest for you. It's a really good investment in your health. So I talk about the eight foundations or the eight pillars of health, nutrition being one, but hydration is number two. So we really want to get a good water filter that takes out the chlorine, the fluoride and the heavy metals. And we, we didn't really d dive into any of the other foundations of health, but just do my parting comment would be just appreciate health is also multi, health is very much multifactorial. Um, but I've, I firmly believe that if you nail the diet, if you nail nutrition and hydration, you're 90% there because that's going to give you the energy and the bandwidth and the capacity to then deal with some of the other foundations of health and go, right, okay, now I can actually, you know, have the energy and bandwidth to move my body uh, and to get out in nature and so on and so forth. But, you know, making the diet, nutrition, hydration, um, really non-negotiable and just, you know, really nailing that uh, is going to make the most profound influence in your health. And that's also the thing that we have the most control over. Like people really... Fruit, I call it. And yeah. The low-hanging fruit because you've got to eat two to three times a day. It's not like, you know, a lot of people think that, well, movement, meditation, you know, that's kind of an additional thing I, I could do in my day. But everyone has, everyone in the world has to eat. Okay, so then you've got a choice as well, what do I eat? And all we're saying is instead of eating A, eat B because it's more nutrient-dense. And, and we'll show you how to make it as cost-effective and as quick and easy and, and even more delicious, you know. And when you, as your taste buds change, you're not going to really uh, view A, the toxic processed food, as food. You know, you're going to be craving B because, you know, you're going to listen to your body and your body will, you know, you're going to love how you look and feel and so you're going to want more of that. Oh yeah, I can't even wear makeup. Like if you ever go, I've gone to do a something for someone else and had to have my makeup done, and I just I cannot even stand the smell of commercial makeup anymore. I become that sensitive to it, and it's so different now, right? Like when I was a kid, you viewed people who used all these natural products as these dirty-looking hippies, <laughs> you know, where and like their clothes were never clean, but the products are so amazing. You know, like my sheets are super white and 
our house is super clean. So it's, it's I, I think, think it's, that stereotype as well of being, you know, obliterated now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, clean living to me is just about stripping all the unnecessary extras out that don't serve you. Toxins in all its guises, whether it's dietary, environmental, uh, stress, don't serve us. Okay, so when you get rid of things that don't serve you, what you're left with is, you know, and you fill your life with things that do serve you, uh, then that's when we can, you know, our children can grow and function properly. We can perform our best and reach our true potential. We can be the best possible versions of ourselves. And that's why we're here on this planet, you know, is to understand who we truly are to evolve and grow and be the best possible versions of ourselves. And, you know, living as, you know, nourishingly as possible is the mechanism in order to do that. So well said. So if you've taken away something from this podcast and implemented it in your life, even it's as simple as just going and throwing out that canola oil right now out of your cupboard, please DM Sula or myself. We love to hear from you and, you know, we live to inspire and help people create change. So we'd love to hear from you. So DM us on our Instagram. Have a look at um healthy swaps with Sula and I'll upload all the resources in the show notes so you can get all those tips from Sula at length. Thank you so much, Sula. Loved having you on the show. I'm Lena Lutz and you've been listening to The Body Never Lies. If you haven't yet, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. All the resources and references from this episode are waiting for you on my website, leelalutz.com. Just click on podcast and look for this episode. Now join me next week for another episode of The Body Never Lies. Thank you so much for listening. Free.